Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, good to see all of you this morning, and, and glad those who are joining us online are able to join us. I want us to study in Matthew 24 uh, today, Matthew 24. And I'll be reading from verse 36 through uh, 51 here in, in just a little bit. We serve a great God, an almighty God, a God who, yes, we go through the struggles, but He's there every step of the way with us as well. And He deserves glory and honor, and He deserves to have the truth told about Him. He deserves to have a church who believes in Him rightly. He deserves a people who will believe what He has revealed about Himself and then live like it. Unfortunately, in our day and age, we have a people who claim to know Him, and yet they don't believe in Him rightly. They, they don't they don't trust what he has revealed about himself. And they decide, well, we're just going to believe any old thing about God that we want. And then they expect that God that they made up in their own mind to bless them. And the sad thing is that the pastors in the land are the ones leading the charge in that. This past week, I read an article that disturbed me. It saddened me. I would say that it shocked me, but frankly, in our day and age, there isn't a whole lot that shocks me anymore. I mean, it's not like, you know, every day you read something else and it's like, oh, brother, you know, one, one more thing. But this is definitely saddening, to say the least. America, uh, Arizona Christian University, with the help of the Barna Group, who, you know, they do a lot of surveys and stuff, so they can conduct what's called an American Worldview Inventory of Senior Pastors. They did this uh, inventory with senior pastors earlier this year, and then I guess within the last week, they have published their results. And so what this is, is they went to the senior pastors to determine if the Bible was the foundation of the beliefs of pastors, if it was the foundation of their faith, if it formed their faith. You, know, you would assume you're a pastor, you believe the Bible. That's your job, right? You would assume that. And especially considering, this is very important, whatever the pastors believe, whatever the senior pastors believe, right, that's what they're going to preach and teach. And so that's what the people in the, in the pew are going to believe. So they, took, they did this survey, and then they took the results, and then they split the results into like what I would call different denominational families. So, you know, they, they had your uh, mainline Protestants, you had your non-denominationals, you had your Catholics, you had your Charismatics, you had Evangelicals, and things like that. They had like seven or so different categories. Um, you know, we're Southern Baptists, so we, we would be under the Evangelical category. Evangelicals are supposed to be, by the original definition, they're supposed to be Bible-believing churches. That's what evangelical meant. So you have your more liberal Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists. That would fall under the mainline Protestants. You have your conservative 
Baptists and Methodists and Protestants, they would be under the uh, evangelical category. Evangelical, Bible-believing, right? Of the senior pastors just in the evangelical church category, 30% do not believe you go to heaven through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. 30%. 34% believe that a person who is generally, generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. 33% evangelical senior pastors believe that reincarnation is a real possibility. 39% believe that the determination of moral truth is up to each individual, that there are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. That's the evangelical category, the ones that are supposed to believe the Bible. And then you have the other denominational categories, and all of them are a whole lot worse than the evangelicals, except the non-denominationals. The non-denominational churches actually held more to the Bible than even the evangelicals. So here, here's a portion of the response from the Barna group. They wrote this. They said, we know that just 37% of pastors, senior pastors, have a biblical worldview across all the denominations. It doesn't matter what flavor denomination category it was. Only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview and that the dominant worldview among senior pastors is syncretism. Syncretism means combining things. You take a little bit over here, you take a little bit over there, you take a little bit from the Bible, you take from the world and the culture and just put it all together. That's syncretism. As our survey demonstrates, large numbers of pastors have abandoned even the most basic and hallowed biblical teachings for ideas that now permeate our culture. Because pastors teach what they believe, many churches are becoming centers of syncretism and secular thought. Perhaps without even realizing it, thousands of pastors have become leaders of a movement away from God toward narcissism. With so many churches and their pastors in the culture's grip, rather than fervently committed to serving God and teaching his word, you can clearly see why most church-going Christians are being more influenced by the culture than the culture being influenced by America's Christians. To see American culture transformed will require a time of Christians and pastors devoted to repentance and the scriptures unlike anything we have seen in more than a century. And until that happens, there is little hope of America becoming a godly, Bible-friendly nation once again. Now y'all might see why I was a little like, what? you got to be kidding me. I mean, I had to, I, I, you know, I saw the article, and I'm like, no, 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 that can't be right. And so, you know, I went and follow, followed the, you know, fo followed the, the thing. I went and found the results, read over the results, and I'm like, oh, how sad. And so, you know, reflecting, and reflecting on that survey and reflecting on the consequences of that survey and the implications of that survey, what... 
And there's a whole lot of consequences and implications that we could probably make from that. But what we have here, and the, what I want to kind of you know, pull out of it for today, and I may pull out of it a whole lot more of it over weeks to come, but that means that 33% of evangelical pastors and their congregation are not prepared to meet eternity. They don't believe the Bible and they don't believe in God rightly. They don't believe in Jesus Christ rightly. Guess what? That has eternal consequences. 33% of evangelical pastors and church members are not ready for eternity. But then, put all of Christianity in there that they surveyed, that means that 63% of self-proclaimed Christians in America are not actually prepared for eternity. If they die, or if there's some sort of judgment that would come upon the nation, or if Jesus were to return, they are not ready for that. And you even consider that now Christians are a minority in our nation, and obviously unbelievers are unprepared. We're not shocked when unbelievers, you know, they're not prepared to meet eternity. They need to believe in Jesus. But 63% of Christians, we'll do the air quotes there, are not prepared to meet eternity. How in the world can a pastor whose job is to prepare people for eternity, not prepare people for eternity. What in the world? And so in light of this, I want to make sure you're prepared for eternity. I want to make sure that people online are prepared for eternity. Are you prepared to meet Jesus? I, I, I want us to be ready. If we would die, if judgment would come, if Jesus would return, after hearing that, trust me, I was saying, come Lord Jesus, a whole lot. But then, but then I thought, after I said, come Lord Jesus, and I thought, oh, wait a minute, don't come because there's 63% of Christians that aren't ready to meet you. Lord, get them ready and then come. How's that sound? But Be prepared. And even Jesus himself said, be prepared. Be ready for my coming. In the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus warned that everyone needs to be spiritually prepared for his judgment or his eventual return. It doesn't matter if, you know, believers, you know, if you're a believer, you need to be ready too. I mean, yeah, you, you've trusted in Jesus, but are you really ready to meet Jesus? You need to, and, and if you're not a believer, or if you're one of that 63%, I mean, you need to be spiritually prepared. Because God, might, Jesus might come in judgment. And judge a people, judge a nation, judge an area, or he might return. So, so I hope that this, this passage today will, will lead you to assess your life and move you to make whatever adjustments you need to make so that you're prepared to meet Jesus. Are you ready? Are you prepared to meet Jesus? Well, let's read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. Why don't we stand in reverence of the reading of God's holy word as I read this passage. Jesus is speaking, and he said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all, all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, eh, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that we take our soul seriously. That we take these warnings seriously and be prepared. For you are coming in some way, shape, or form. Eventually you will come to end history. And we look forward to that day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I want to give you some context of what's going on here so you kind of understand the passage. And uh, it, in this chapter, the beginning of this chapter, Jesus just got done talking about a judgment that was to come. Some scholars believe he's talking about his second coming. Some scholars believe that he's talking about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. I'm probably in the, the minority uh, here in that I believe that he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but his second coming is in kind of the background. It's in the back of the mind. If you, you know, consider chapter 24 kind of like binoculars. So you got some binoculars, and you zoom in on whatever it is that you want to look at, and whatever you look at is in focus, but then there's stuff in the background that's kind of out of focus. Um, my understanding of chapter 24 is he's zooming in on the destruction of Jerusalem, but his second coming is there in the background. He's, he, he, it's, it's a type, it's a foreshadowing of what his second coming will be like. But you know what? Either view, whatever view you take, it, it doesn't matter because it doesn't change the message. The message is clear. Are you ready? Whether Jesus is coming and bringing an earthly judgment upon a wicked people, or if he's coming to end history and usher in the eternal state, are you ready for either circumstance? Well, I want to consider that today. I want to quickly go over some principles before going over some applications about being prepared. And we'll talk about the principles. We'll talk about what it means to be prepared. So first principle, that there is an urgency to be prepared. There is an urgency. This is not something that you just kind of sit back and uh, take lightly and 
and wait. Jesus here is making an earnest plea with people. All who hear him, they, he says, you are to make yourself ready now. Like, right now. Right then and there for them, right here and now for us. There is no time to wait. There is no time to put this off. Now, I don't know about you, but I often have a tendency to procrastinate, especially if it's something that I don't really feel like doing, but it has to be done. But you know what my motto sometimes is, why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? Not a good motto, by the way. Don't follow that. But you know, there might be something that I need to do, and then I'm like, oh, look, social media. Or, oh, look, TV or, or something. Play video games. Yeah, that's, that's what I'll do instead of doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Putting stuff off. Jesus says, this is not something you procrastinate. This is not something you put off. Why? I mean, what is with the urgency here? The urgency stems from the fact that you never know when Jesus is coming. You never know when he's coming in judgment. You never know when he's coming, like coming, coming, his second coming. It, it, you don't know. And so you've got to be ready at all times. You don't know if Jesus is going to come and bring some sort of earthly judgment against a nation and we get swept up in it. By the way, that there's nothing in Scripture that says Christians are protected from earthly judgments. If, if, if God were to judge a nation, there's nothing in Scripture that says that we would be protected against that. Yes, we'll be protected against spiritual judgment. We're protected against eternal judgment in Jesus Christ. But if God finally has enough with a nation, we're, we're in it. We're part of that nation. Are you ready to meet Jesus if, if you're caught up in a judgment like that? But he, Jesus could come back at any time like the second coming. Like he's coming and then... You know, that's it. We don't know when that's going to happen. If you're re- are you ready if Jesus were to return like that today? That there's this urgency to be spiritually prepared to meet Jesus because you don't know when it's going to happen. So you ought to be prepared at all times, like right now. Be prepared now. Be prepared 20 years from now. Be prepared 50 years from now and everywhere in between. Just be ready. So Jesus uses this picture of a homeowner and a thief, right? If a homeowner knew when the thief was going to break into his house, he'd do whatever he could to prevent that from happening, right? But obviously the problem is homeowners don't know when a thief's going to break into the house and steal stuff. If a thief advertised when he was coming to steal, he wouldn't be very good at it, now would he? You know, you don't get a whole lot of, a whole lot of advance notice from a thief when they're going to steal from you. They don't call you up and say, yeah, um, just want to let you know I'm breaking into your house tonight around 3 a.m. So just want to let you know, bye. No, there's no thief that does that. You don't know when they're coming. And so a homeowner needs to be diligent to do whatever is necessary to make sure their home is always ready to repel a thief. Well, being ready for Jesus has the same philosophy. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. So you know what? Just be prepared at all times. Be diligent with your life. Be disciplined with your life. Don't put off doing what you have to do to be ready for Christ's coming so you can spend more time on social media, so you can spend more time watching TV or, you know, whatever it is that you do for entertainment and stuff. Not that that stuff is bad in and of itself, but if that's all you do and you're leaving 
the spiritual aspect of your life kind of off to the side, well, that, that's not good. That's not healthy. And so you be, be prepared because all that other stuff, all that wor- that's this worldly stuff, it's temporary. But Jesus and life eternal is eternal. It's forever, right? A thousand years from now in, in heaven, you're not going to be talking about how stressed out you were about the game yesterday. And frankly, for some of you Alabama fans, I'm glad I didn't get a phone call that, that you had a heart attack or a stroke or something because it sure, was, it sure was happening, wasn't it? But a thousand years from now, you're not even going to care about that or remember about that. Life eternal in Jesus, that's the forever stuff. That's the eternal stuff. That's the stuff that matters. And so there's this urgency to be prepared because you just don't know. You just don't know when it's going to happen. The second principle is that there is a lifestyle reflecting that you are prepared. I mean, if you're prepared, it's going to be reflected in your lifestyle. Because Jesus talks about what I would say is more the practical part, uh, the practical side of being prepared. You could say that, that it, there's two portions of that. I mean, obviously, there's the spiritual aspect. You need to be prepared spiritually, meaning you need to be prepared to go to heaven because... If you're not prepared to go to heaven, you're going somewhere else. And we'll talk about that place a little bit later. And there's only one way to be prepared, and that's through Jesus Christ. You know, he, Jesus talks about there, if judgment comes, or well, you know, when he comes with the second coming, you're, part, you're one of, part of one or two groups. You either believe in Jesus, or you don't. You're either part of God's kingdom, or you're not. I mean, Jesus talks about the fact that you know, it, there's, there's one man, he's in a field, there's another man, one of them's taken, the other one's not. There's two women, they're at the mill, one of them's taken, one of them's not. And, you know, there's a debate about what that exactly means. Are the people being taken in judgment? Are they being taken in the rapture, if that's your end-time views? I mean, we're, we're not sure, but either way, I mean, the message is clear. One of them is right with God, one of them isn't. One of them's going to be judged, whichever one it is you think it might be. The other one isn't going to be judged eternally and spiritually. The difference is what you do with Jesus. You know, unlike what now I guess the majority of pastors in this nation preach and seem to think, what determines whether you go to heaven or not, whether you're in the presence of God's love and peace or not, it is dependent on your faith in Jesus Christ. But I'm a good person. Good. It's good to be a good person. That doesn't get you into heaven. I don't care what 63% of pastors say. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible is clear. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the spiritual aspect of being prepared i mean that's your eternal destiny that's something very important to be prepared for but then jesus also talks about what i would say is more the ethical portion i guess the living portion the lifestyle portion because this is i guess in a sense your beliefs are going to come out in your life one way shape or another I mean, your life is going to reflect what you believe. But, but Christians, we need to listen to this 
as, as well. Because we Christians could be unprepared to meet Jesus in the sense that we've taken him lightly. We've been very casual with our belief. We have sin in our lives that we're okay with. It's our pet sin. And we like it. And we love our pet sin. And we hold it close. And we don't want to let it go. And we just want to be with our pet sin all the time. Yeah, no, get rid of that. But, um, you know, you're, you, then all of a sudden you got your pet sin, or you're taking things lightly, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes back. Or you die, or, or judgment comes. And you're caught up into his presence. And then you've got to look Jesus in the face. Are you, are you going to be ashamed of what you were caught doing when, you know, you meet Jesus in, in the face? So, in the spiritual sense, you know, we're saved, but in the lifestyle sense, we haven't been living out our beliefs. Um, and so we want to be able to look Jesus in the face and, you know, not have the regret of, well, I should have, could have, would have done whatever. We want to we live without regrets. We're not going to be perfect, but we want to live without regrets. And so Jesus gives this picture. He gives a picture of, uh, of a master who goes on this trip and puts this servant in charge. And the servant has absolutely no idea when this master is coming back. It could be a short trip. It could be a long trip, somewhere in between. But the question is, when the master is, the, is away, what is the servant going to do? He says, now the good servant is going to take care of people going to take care of the people around them. You know, that's pictured with the phrase, the servant's going to give their food at the proper time. The servant was in charge of taking care of people. And so the servant taking care of people, you know, we, we could say that this is um, part of being a good steward of everything that God has given you. It, it's, you know, of your time, of your resources, of your gifts, of your, of your talents. Are you being a good steward of what Jesus has given you? If you do, I mean, you're a good steward. But then he gives a picture of a wicked servant. A wicked servant is not a good steward. In fact, he says the wicked servant mistreats the people around him, lives a self-centered, partying, licentious kind of lifestyle, where for them, it's just all about them, really. It's their lifestyle. It's all about their desires and, and things like that. They think that since the master is gone... Well, you know what? It's unlikely he's going to return anytime soon. He's been gone so long, I might as well just live it up. I might as well just live my best life now because he, he sure hasn't been back yet. And, you know, we, we start getting that attitude. You know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has been here. He hasn't returned yet, so, eh, I got time. You know, I'm young. I got time. I have a lot of years ahead of me. I got, I got time to do what I want. I might as well live, live it up now. But then there, all of a sudden there's a car accident. All of a sudden God judges a nation. All of a sudden Jesus returns. What are you going to do then? You know, for the Christian, we're still saved. For the non-Christian, you're not. And for the non-Christian, there's, there's one important principle. This is the last principle before I get to some application. You need to know, thirdly, that there is a heavy cost if you're not prepared. 
there is a heavy cost if you're, you're not prepared. If you live in the camp of the wicked servant, if you live a life of unbelief, Jesus says the master is going to return at a time that is unexpected. And what is he going to do to the wicked servant who is not prepared for his coming? He says he's going to, well, yeah, he says he's going to chop him up, but, you know, that's ancient Near East picture. I don't think you're going to literally be chopped up. It's punishment. It's talking about punishment. And he's going to put him in with the hypocrites where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is going to be consequences. There is going to be a consequence for your unbelief and for the lifestyle that you chose. There is going to be judgment. There is going to be an eternal judgment. You know, I find it interesting how the more, well, the other 63%, they, they're, they, they don't believe in a hell. They don't believe, well, they don't believe the Bible, really. And all, they say, you know, all we want to do is, is be like Jesus. And Jesus was all about love and, and that. Well, yeah, Jesus was about love. But, you know, they say, yeah, you know, Jesus, he never, he never said anything about judgment or hell or anything like that. I mean... Quite literally, chapter 24, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about judgment and hell. Really, you want to say chapters 23 through 25, Jesus is talking about judgment and and hell. To say that Jesus never talked about judgment and hell is disingenuous at best and lying at worst. Jesus says that if a person is not prepared, they will go to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where one experiences the most intense sorrow as well as the most intense anger. Because hell is the place where God's wrath against sin is just given free reign, nothing holding it back. There is sorrow over what one has lost, but there's also anger, the clenching of teeth. You know, we we have this tendency to think that the people in hell are remorseful and, and they want to get out of their But what happens in hell is that there's no restraint on your human nature, and the human nature is so corrupt, their their anger and hatred toward God is given free reign. And it's interesting, the people in hell, going through what they're going through, hate God even more now than they did when they were on earth. They're cursing God even in the midst of their agony. Because... They hate God so much. That's how bad the human nature has been corrupted. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I find it interesting also that Jesus says it's the place for the hypocrites. And the reason I find that interesting is because of chapter 23. In chapter 23, Jesus is calling out the Jewish religious leaders because of their false religion, their false worship. I mean, everything they're doing is false. And he has these different sections where he is getting on to them, and each section he begins, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And then Jesus just kind of waylays 
on them about what they're, they're doing. The place of the hypocrites is the place where the scribes and Pharisees are going because they're not true followers of God. They're, they said with their mouth that they followed God, but their hearts were far from Him. What's going to happen to 63% of people who claim to be Christians in America? Who claim with their mouth that they follow Jesus, but their hearts are nowhere near Him. Now, I know the doctrine of hell is not famous in teaching. Frankly, teaching. The church growth experts say that teaching on hell will not help you grow your church. Yeah, but it might save some folk, and I think that's our job. You need to know the truth, right? We need to teach the truth. We need to teach about hell. It's true. It's biblical. It's the destiny of all those who are not prepared for Jesus' coming. But that doesn't have to be you. That doesn't have to be your destiny. God made a way through Jesus. But you have to receive him to be prepared. But before I close, I just want to quickly give some application. This is more for the Christians. For the unbeliever, believe in Jesus Christ. There's your application. Trust in Jesus. You can't go anywhere else with that. But I want to quickly give some application for the Christians, what you can do to be prepared. And so you don't have to look in Jesus' face with shame. First, live in light of his word. Live in light of his word. Let the Bible, the word of God, form and shape everything that you do and all that you are. Let the Bible be the foundation of your worldview. Let the Bible be what guides you and helps you make your choices and decisions in life. Let the Bible be the map that you follow in this journey in life because the Bible will never steer you wrong. The culture, other people, yeah, they're going to steer you wrong. But not the Bible. So live in light of his word. Next, love in light of his sacrifice. Be a loving, be a loving people. We're, we are called to love people just like Jesus loved people. Jesus sacrificed himself for sinners. We sacrifice of ourselves to reach out to people and love on people. Yes, even people who don't agree with us. Even people who believe differently with us. Jesus hung out with sinners. Not to give the okay on their sin, but to call them to faith and repentance. Guess what? We're called for the same thing. We don't, you know, we don't try and completely avoid sinners. Oh, no. Whatever. Well, how are you going to lead them to Christ? So love on them with the thought of, guess what? Well, one, you're being obedient to Christ. That's what Christ called us to do. And next, you lead them to, you lead them to him. You lead them to Jesus. Our third application is lament in light of your sin. Lament in light of your sin. I mean, we sin. Christians sin. Sometimes we sin big. And we need to go through periods of confession and repentance. In fact, we need to go through continual confession and repentance. Don't let a lot of water go under the bridge of your sin. I mean, you sin, then guess what? You confess and repent. It's, it's, it's done instantly. It's done constantly. You keep a short leash on your sin. You go to God with it. And, and guess what? You're, you're gonna, God will empower you to live and to, to touch others. And so we need to deal with our sin. And then uh, our final application, lie still in the light of his mercy. Lie still in the light of his mercy. 
I, I want people to rest in Christ. And lie still was the only L word that I could find. You know, I'm Baptist, I got to alliterate this thing. And so you lie still just knowing that, okay, I'm going to mess up. And I am not going to do this perfectly. And so I'm never going to be 100% prepared. But you know what? I'm going to rest in the mercies of Christ. I, I fall short all the time, but I'm going to lie still and rest in the fact that Jesus died for me, Jesus loves me, Jesus is gracious toward me, and so I live in light of his sacrifice and what he has done. Yes, we lie still in that, but that doesn't mean, you know, that we just don't do anything. We just sit back and, and, and do nothing. I mean, we do want to be prepared. But we don't have to stress out if we're not, you know, completely prepared, because we never will be. But I want you to, con for the Christian, I want you to consider the words of Pastor Jim Simbola that he wrote in one of his books. Like Christ's return, we don't know the day or time of our death. But we do know that there will be a final moment to all of our lives, and at that time, there will be no going back and fixing things. We will not have a second chance at living better. There will be no occasion for further witnessing for Jesus. No opportunity to again pray for a loved one. Not another chance to encourage a struggling soul. And no more chances to be light in the dark world God rescued us from. And so that's why you be prepared. All the time. Christian, you don't have to have any regrets. You can prepare yourself. Maybe you want to come to the altar and just ask God to change your heart and to help pr prepare you. Or maybe you know someone in your life that is not prepared. Family member, neighbor, coworker, you know, someone like, like that. You know they're not prepared. Come to the altar and lift their name up to the Lord. But maybe you're one of those who aren't prepared right now. If you would die, if Christ would return. Maybe your place right now is with the hypocrites where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be your eternal destiny. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And during the invitation, I'll be up front and I will tell you about this Jesus and how you can know that you will go and be with him in heaven. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.